The life that God has called you to should look radically different than most. It's a very good thing to stand out and be different when what's setting you apart from the world is your love for the Lord. Don't be afraid to live a life in worship of Him. Don't be afraid to be holy. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Inadequate Catholic Podcast. My name is Olivia, and I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for hanging out with me. So if you tuned in last time, you have heard the conversation that my sister and I had about the Tridentine Mass. And when it got to the edit, the actual content we had recorded had gone almost two hours. And obviously, we didn't release all of that because nobody needs to hear us talk for two hours. But in that two-hour conversation, we had a sub-conversation that goes hand-in-hand with the Tridentine Mass, but we decided not to include it in the original edit. But I'm going to play it for you today because I think it's actually such an interesting practice, both in the Tridentine and actually in the Novus Ordo Masses, and that is veiling. So without further ado, here is the part two of the conversation about the Tridentine Mass, specifically talking about veiling, featuring my little sister, Lily. And the last part that I'm going to touch on, which we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail about it, but it does go hand in hand with the tradition of the Tridentine Mass, and that is the concept of veiling. Um, And it is one of those things that I see oftentimes debated, especially on social media. I get on like Facebook and almost once a week by not even Catholic article, like not even Catholic um, companies are writing articles about veiling. Is it biblical? Should we do it? What does it mean? Is it submissive? Is it anti-feminist? Like, is it, it just goes on and on and on. And then the the comments are just absurd. Like it's insane. (laughs) And to me, it's like veiling is not new and it is not a form of oppression for women. Our Lady, the mother of God himself, veiled herself. And it wasn't because she wasn't, um, you know, she was a pushover. Quite frankly, she was the opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, But she very much led the charge and she was a strong person in Christ's life and the life of the church. And still in the way that we reverence her in her role in the church because God listens to his mother. But she was at the same time, a leader in her own sense. She was also under the mission of her son. And she aligns her yes and her will with his. And part of that is is being obedient, right? And that, you know, when you get married, it's like you take those vows. You are under the mission of the household, not of the man, but like of the man's mission in his house. He's the priest of his home and you are under the mission of that. When you go into the church, you're under the mission of Christ and you're under the mission of the mass and what it is to accomplish. You, you reverence that and you take, you don't take that lightly. And yours went actually a little bit deeper than that, which I'll let you touch on. And then we're going to kind of wrap everything up here. Yeah. And I mean, I think I, and in veiling, it's funny because some people have such strong opinions on it and they're just, uh, either so pro or so anti- I don't think I really, it wasn't a huge thing for me. I veil when I remember to veil. <laughs> like, if I'm being honest, you know? It's like if I if I leave the house without a veil, it's like, oh, sorry. Uh, what are you going to do, you know? But I think for some people, it like, it is a huge thing. And for, like, for or against. And I think for me, there is... Um, it, it is a part of tradition, right? So there's is that piece of it is 
it's not this, uh, like you said, I must submit because I'm a woman and I have no rights and I, right. whatever. No, it's, it's not that it's, there's a huge cultural factor of that. Um, and I think that was pretty common amongst a lot of cultures. Um, if I don't want to say all of them, but I mean, you even look today, um, African women, they wear head, headbands, headdresses, and those kinds of things. It's just a very culturally rich thing. But I think in, in the context of the mass, women are like asked to do it. Okay, it is, it is a reverent thing to do. It is an o- obedience thing to do. Mm-hmm. And any opportunity to enter into those more readily, I want to do that. Um, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it makes me mad, because at some point... If I actively act against those things, I must submit to to my goodwill. But I think the other piece of it is, right, so Mary, who would veil, was the tabernacle for Christ. Right. And women are, some of them, empty tabernacles. So in a church, like, I will veil because when I receive the Eucharist... I become a tabernacle for Christ. Like I am receiving Jesus and I am then a part of that tabernacle. And when you're thinking about um, the Old Testament, I'm pretty sure. So the men would be carrying around the tabernacle, which held, like it, it held all of those things. So when they're, they're going on all of their, they just left Egypt and now they're going to the promised land. Um, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was held in the tabernacle. And the men would carry this around and then they would set up the, the tent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure that they veiled. Yeah, they did. They veiled that because he, he was covered. Like, and it that only it was belonged covered. to the Holy of Holies. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that's the whole thing. And it's like, I don't I don't veil everywhere. But I, I think there's there's... it's. Yeah, it, it's this sign of this is this is a holy thing. This is a beautiful thing. This is um, an ordained thing. And today, the tabernacles, I think a lot of them, they have veils inside of them that cover the chalice. The chalice, um, once the uh, vessels have been purified after the consecration, a lot of times that gets veiled. And so I think we, we look at it as this weird, like, Ah, it's this like woman against man. It just becomes like another, like weird kind of point conflict. Of yeah. yeah, that it doesn't need to be, mm-hmm. because if you look at that objectively, no, it's just it's this thing used to cover, like holy things, mm-hmm. traditionally like beautiful things. And if you want to put a veil on me and call me holy and beautiful, then by golly, I'm I'm gonna do it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I love that. So <laughs> the last little point, um, here was that we, you know, something that I had heard a long time ago, I think it was probably in college cause everyone goes for their MRS degrees in college. So we talk about marriage a lot in college. Speak for yourself. Well, I didn't do that either, but okay. uh, the people at Catholic <laughs> colleges right. tend to do that. But you know, that was part of one of the traditions of the man genuflecting or getting on one knee to propose to his future spouse is because just as we enter the church and genuflect to the tabernacle, which holds life, the men, as a sign of respect to the tabernacle, the woman who will hold life mm-hmm. of their family as a sign of reverence and essentially dying to himself to protect her and all that she will create within the family, 
that's honored. Yeah. And then in the wedding, what does she wear? A veil. All right. Anyway, so we're going to leave that one. We're going to put a little (laughs) pin in that one. So I thought this part of the conversation was worth releasing because as I'm watching this conversation about the Tridentine Mass and the Latin Mass and the practices that it encompasses, I'm seeing that actually a lot of Protestant sources are starting to pick up on it and write articles and ask the question, is it biblical? Why do we do it? Is it anti-feminist? Is this just a Catholic thing or should this be adopted in other Protestant religions as well? And so I kind of wanted to give it a little bit of gravitas because it's something that I'm seeing on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And and as this conversation about the Latin Mass is unfolding, we're starting to see people question this more and practice it more, which I think is really cool. So regardless of your thoughts on it, I just thought it was an interesting point of conversation. And as we are continuing to have these conversations that are perhaps uncomfortable or people don't really understand them or they may not be something that we've wrestled with, I invite you to wrestle with them. I invite you to research them, figure out why the church does the things it does, and then sit with that for a while. And as you're sitting with that, I also invite you to invite God into the conversation. And a really quick, surefire way to do that is to simply ask him what he wants from you and be brave. Thank you for listening to another episode, and we will catch you next time. I'm Olivia Palmer, and you've been listening to the Inadequate Catholic Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next time for another Inadequate Conversation, and thanks for listening. Deo gratia.